WATD presents Monday Night Talk with your host, Kevin Tachi. You're a good man, Charlie Brown. You're good at what you do, too. She is Natalie Jacobson. You are the dean of South Shore Broadcasting. Putting the South Shore spin on politics, current events, and pop culture. Best-selling author, Dave Wedge. you got to say that. I'm sorry. Thank, huh? Thank you, Mayor. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Wonderful to be here. Kevin's been a long time. Thanks for all you do. All you, you know, your local news icon. We appreciate it. Oh, Kathy's wow. doing a great job at this. And I've decided she's jelly. I got to be peanut butter. There was a debate about it. There was a debate about that. There was a debate. You fine with jelly? I'm fine with jelly. Okay, good. Jelly spikes my sugars. Good evening and welcome to Monday Night Talk. As you know, I am not Kevin Tachi, and I'm going to be your host for the first hour with Massachusetts State Auditor Diana DeZaglio. Welcome back to Monday Night Talk. It's great to be back. Thanks so much for having me, Kevin. Jermaine Wiggins member of the 2001 Super Bowl champion New England Patriots. Welcome to Monday Night Talk. Oh, thank you for having me. Anytime. Not just economic development, but it's how to get the businesses involved. Senator, I want to thank you. Thank you, Kevin. I appreciate you being a, a voice bringing so much community news to uh, to folks here on the South Shore. And now, your host, Kevin Tachi. Welcome and good evening. You are tuned into Monday Night Talk here on 95.9. W-A-T-D, coming to you from Broadcast House on this President's Day holiday. You can tell us later who your favorite president is or was. Um, we'll go from there. But we have a great lineup for this, this holiday, as we always try to bring you fresh material, fresh conversations. Uh, and if you haven't had a chance to tune into uh, one of the programs, you've missed a part of a segment, always go to our Homepage, 959WATD.com, under podcasts, or just go to Spotify. It's that easy. Uh, we're going to kick things off in a few moments with a Statehouse report joining us for this week's version. Uh, former state rep for the 6th Plymouth District, uh, now the Undersecretary of Apprenticeship, Work-Based Learning, and Policy for the Executive Office of Labor and Workforce Development, AKA Undersecretary of Labor, we have Josh Cutler, who is going to be joining us in just a moment as he is, as they like to say, warming up at the bullpen. He's ready to, ready to kind of bridge the gap from state rep to what he's doing now. Busy, busy guy. We'll follow that up with uh, Peter Brown is here. He'll be jumping in. Uh, but as I kind of give a little bit of a rundown, Donna Curtin, Executive Director of the Pilgrim Hall Museum. You know, they have a bunch of fun events that are going to be uh, happening this week, starting tomorrow all the way to Friday. That's right. They technically don't open until March 1st. The season goes from March 1st to December 1st. We'll talk, Peter and I will talk with Donna about that. Then we have uh, Carrie McRae. She is a candidate for state senate. We'll chat with her about that. And then to close things out, another candidate. This time, we have Scott Vecchi. Scott is a candidate for county commissioner. So with that being said, I want to first welcome in my my co-host, uh, Peter. Thank you for, for being my co-host for the first hour. Well, thank you. I appreciate you having me today. Uh, what are you looking forward to? Are you looking forward to talking with... I think he's looking forward to talking to me the most, yeah. but that's just my well, opinion. I'm still trying to get over the undersecretary <laughs> thing. It's like this is like a new thing. Everybody goes, what's Josh doing? I said, oh, no, he's doing something with labor or something like that. I don't know. But I just appreciate everything that you've done in the past, and I'm just looking forward to working with you in your new, your new whatever it is. 
<laughs> oh, I'm glad to be I, here. I'm, I'm look to forward to out. explaining. Thank you. <laughs> so, of course, we let's we formally have welcomed in the Undersecretary of, of Labor, uh, former state rep. How are, how are you doing, John? Good evening. I'm doing great. Thanks, guys. I appreciate the welcome back. It's good to be back here at how, WATD. How well rested he is. I mean, it, just, <laughs> yeah. it doesn't even look like a state rep anymore. It did take uh, a change. It's like, yeah, my gray hair has gone back to its yeah, natural brown. No, hardly. on his face. It's like, geez. So before we dive in, because I, I, it is President's Day in honor of that, I was, I'm curious if you guys have any favorite historical presidents um, I think it's nice to go back in history a little bit because you get perspective. Well, I'm glad to share. Myself. I, I will. I will say this, and that is, we are not the uh, the historical type of people like you are. You are somebody who's written books on on certain parts of history, right? Two books, yeah, probably yeah, working yeah. on a third book. For I all am, we yeah. know, for, yeah. for, 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 for all we know, for all we know, you're working on your third book. Peter, do you want to you want to respond to that? Yeah, I mean, President's Day, so I was just get through reading John Meacham's uh, pre- uh, story about Lincoln. And the, uh, the abolitionist, when you ta- wrote about the Boston mob, he had a um, whole yes. chapter on that. It was pretty interesting. So, yes. Uh, but that's that's my president. president okay. Lincoln, Good so. choice. Solid yeah. choice. You yeah. know, the, I will say some of the Boston abolitionists were not fans of Lincoln. They didn't feel like he went far enough. Um, in his efforts, initially at least, uh, and they sort of reluctantly embraced him, you know, after the end of the Civil War. But uh, but he's a fine choice, obviously, a tremendous president. I, I always liked uh, Theodore Roosevelt, to say. Um, I, I, you know, he's a conservationist, you know, he, he was sort of a larger-than-life character. Um, so I, he, he's always been one of my lesser, well, not lesser known, but, you know, one of the less heralded, perhaps, uh, favorite presidents. I'm going to go with Lincoln as well. You're going to go with Lincoln as Fan well. Fan of Lincoln as well. Okay. Even though even though he had a he had a horrible ending. Uh he he did his best to I think try to bring us together as as a country and try to be fair and equitable for for you know those who were you know enslaved. Well, we we celebrate all of our presidents, uh, good and mediocre in some cases, uh but a lot of uh uh historical leadership to be appreciated so let's kind of kick things off All i mean right. uh, how, the last time we talked with you i think you were still a state rep and you're I still was, kind of working yes. on a lot i didn't of, know i was going to get invited back i'm 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 honored well i, I think i had i think you've been told <laughs> that the door is open if you have things if you're you're allowed by the administration to come in yes. and talk about some of the great things yeah, that are no, happening a lot of wonderful things happening and I'm, I'm delighted to talk about some of them and talk about whatever you want to talk about what were the what were the last the, the last few days of state state rep like for you? I mean, trying to let everybody yeah. know, hey, you know, I'm I'm, I'm not going to be here for the remainder of 2024, but I'm going to be serving in a a, a different role, a better role. Uh, yeah, a different role. Um, it, it was it was uh, a little surreal to be honest. You know, it's something I had done for you know more than a decade. Uh, it was a big part of you know uh, my life and uh, in many ways, and I, you know, it was a wonderful experience and. You know, I really cherish the memories and the friendships and the people that I met along the way. I can still remember, you know, I just was with one gentleman la- yesterday who I had met knocking on doors in Pembroke. And, and, and I spent uh, an hour. He was kind enough to invite me in uh, and we talked for an hour. And, uh, he, you know, he, um, he and I got to be friends later. But I can just think of a lot of stories like that about wonderful people, including, you know, your, your co-host here, Mr., uh, Mr. Brown, who I met uh, through the campaign. So it really is a wonderful experience. Um, I cherish a lot of the memories. I really enjoyed serving in the role. Um, and, um, you know, so the last week was a bit surreal because I had a lot of, you know, kind of loose ends to wrap up. Some on a 
sort of, you know, detail level, just like, you know, making sure I turned to my computer and got my parking pass taken care of and stuff, but also, and, and getting out, you know, letters and so forth, but also making sure our staff was taken care of, making sure some of the issues that we were still working on got wrapped up. Um, I'm grateful. I have to say, I want to really thank my colleagues on the South Shore. We have a, a great bipartisan team here. And one of the, the really difficult decisions for me was, you know, I, I didn't want to leave this job until I was really assured that uh, the folks in my district will be well taken care of. And I'm really grateful both to my staff, who, who by the way, are still there, still at the State House. And if you need help, if you're a resident of the district and, and need assistance with any kind of constituent case, our team is still there and will continue to be there throughout the term to, to answer your questions, to get advice, to get to cut through the red tape, all the things we, we were doing when I was in office. So just want to make sure folks are aware of that. So I'm grateful to them, to our great team uh, there, Cole and Susan and Matt. Cole Langley. Yep. Uh, a great team. I've had a lot of good staff over the years. I'm really privileged there. But I'm also grateful to our, our South, my colleagues on the South Shore, the, you know, senators and representatives around here who really stepped forward when I you know, shared this possibility with them. They were all very supportive and said, hey, Josh, whatever we can do, help make sure that your district is well represented for the rest of this term. You know, we're going to do it. And I'm grateful to them for that. And really on a bipartisan basis, both Democrat and Republican, everybody stepped forward. And so... Um, you know, knowing those two things, I felt comfortable to sort of taking the leap to the next opportunity. But um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know, Kevin, I'm kind of rambling a little bit. Apologize. But, you know, um, a lot of emotions kind of flooded out at the time. And, and it's still kind of new to me, this transition, because it was such a big part of my life. But uh, it's something I'm going to always have fond memories of and uh, really enjoy my, my time in public service. And obviously it's continuing in slightly just in a different way. Any, any particular memories before we kind of talk about the, your new position and how yeah. things have been going? Anything you know, that is still resonating with you to this day? Well, you know, I think about, you know, some of the issues that I worked on, some of, you know, the serious things, and I'm proud of, you know, I'm happy to talk about some of those things, really proud of the work that we did, in, you know, in different policy areas, but I also think about, you know, the fun times that we had. And, you know, I, I think about just here being here at WATD and, you know, cutting a radio ad or working with, you know, coming in and, and working with some of my colleagues, um, you know, just having fun on your show here with you, Kevin and, and, and Peter and the different co-hosts we've had over the years. Um, you know, those are some of the, the fun memories that you, you carry with you um, and, um, you know, really appreciate. And I think appreciate even more having a little bit of, of an outside perspective. So really appreciate, you know, the relationships I've made and, and being able to serve and, and, and feel like I've had a you know, played a small role in, in, in making our Commonwealth stronger, more equitable, and, and, and uh, making the South Shore a better place to, you know, live, work, and, and raise a family, which is kind of why I got into this in the first place. And my family at the beginning was was, was very little, and now my, my family is, you know, in high school and, you know, going to college soon. And so, uh, you know, I, I feel like we've, you know, we have, uh, we made some really uh, good progress and taken some important steps. So I'm, I'm, I'm proud of that. Um, you know, in all ways. Yeah. Okay, Pete, I, I don't want to. I don't want to hog the mic. Is there anything that you want to kind of, you want to uh, at, at least chime in and ask uh, the representative before we move forward? Real, real quick here. So, so one of the biggest things that that Josh has helped us with in the South Shore is small business, and just seeing through the chambers as I, you know, as the leadership being part of the leadership of the Plymouth Chamber and. The Pembroke Chamber of Commerce and, the, and then Duxbury, yeah, we've been and now Kingston, uh, we've all start to, started to work <laughs> together better, and it's because of his communication and his colleagues' communication specifically. You know, not to mention names, but Kathy Lanatra and and the introductions that you've made through the those processes have helped me as far as business goes. And now that your new role is coming up, 
Um, this is even better because with, we're talking about um, small, small business fairs, uh, internships, all this stuff, so it's great. So now I'm looking forward to taking the <laughs> again. But one of the biggest um, things that I remember with, about Josh was his, uh, his personality and his, and his humorous stuff, and uh, the pen keeper was the best. Oh, we've got to tell that story. Yeah, yeah. please share that story, Peter. So, <laughs> so we're doing the this the signing for the my father's corner, tiny and son's corner, uh, tiny brown corner, and and we're waiting for the governor. The governor had us waiting for about forty five minutes, so we're bored. We're waiting. Yeah, so we're, we're waiting just, in his office at the state house. Yeah, we're in his office in the state house, just and, and so it's 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 uh, Senator DiMasito, yep. I think Rep. Mayor Tory, yep. Rep. Cantwell. Yeah, don't think that was it. Been it. And yep. then we had a, I think we had. Uh, his his assistant and then all, and then all, oh yes um, Arthur Boyle yep okay and, and he was mortified so <laughs> so all the pens so they let us alone in the governor's <laughs> office yes. with all of us there okay you can just see a recipe for disaster so I always carry a pocket of pens in my po- you know this yes. is, and this I get this from Dave Gallerani because he's a Cape Auto pens all yeah. the time so I keep the Tiny and Sons pens in my pocket so I pull them out and Josh's eyes lit up. So we took all the governor's pens <laughs> off the board and put them all tiny and son's pens on the board. And the governor goes, sits down, he does all his thing and stuff, and he picks up a pen and he goes, hey. <laughs> that was awesome. That was the but best. But he, he signed your he dad's did. bill. He did. And just as a way of background, in order to make that intersection named after your dad, who we all you know, and, and love so much. And what's funny about that guy We had that to pass a bill and have we, it signed into law. We went to a fundraiser with you and uh, it was a, in Plymouth for Matt and- he showed up, and he remembered me from that day. And that was four years previous. Oh, wow. so, okay. so I guess we made a good impression. <laughs> you made quite an impression with those pens. Let's talk a little bit about how has the – talk about the, the transition. What does your new uh, job as the uh, Undersecretary of Labor entail? What are some of the things that you were tasked with? Yeah, well, thank you. No, I, I'm happy to transition. So I, I guess um, just by way of background, so I'm really delighted to be joining the Healy Driscoll administration in this role. You know, as folks may know, for the last uh, two terms of, of, of my serving in the State House, I was the chair of the Labor and Workforce Development Committee. And so really did, you know, kind of laser focus on, you know, workforce issues. And I feel really blessed. I'm, I'm grateful to Speaker Mariano, who, and my colleagues for, for selecting me for that role. It kind of came at such a key juncture uh, and, you know, the, sort of the history of our, you know, Commonwealth with our workforce needs, you know, with the changes in our workforce and, you know, coming out of COVID and, you know, just the, the some of our aging demographics, you know, causing a lot of workforce, you know, shortages in, in many sectors. And so it just sort of, you know, put workforce issues on the front burner. And so I was really, you know, privileged and honored to be serving in the role as House Chair of the, that committee, that key committee. Uh, during the last, you know, three and a half years uh, at this at this juncture. So uh, when the opportunity came to uh, move to the executive branch, uh, working for the for Governor Healy and, and Lieutenant Governor Driscoll and Secretary Jones, you know, it was just it was, it was a great opportunity for me. And I saw it as a way to kind of continue doing the workforce issues that I've sort of championed you know, as a legislator, but now t- taking sort of that hat off and putting on the executive branch hat and being able to kind of work uh, and implement those and, and work on them in a different way. And it was, it's, it's been, uh, you know, I've been at the job two weeks, so it's still very new, but it's been a, a, a great uh, fit for me. And I'm really, you know, the people there are tremendous. Uh, Secretary Jones, who I had worked with in the past, 
has been a great is a great leader and has is, is, uh, really been great to me and the, the whole team has been very welcoming and I've been able to really dive in and kind of hit the ground running I think because of my experience at the state house but to, to answer your question uh, Kevin you know my one of the thing the directives I was sort of given is we have um, something called the division of apprenticeship standard apprentice standards DAS and we're trying to make a big push to grow and expand uh, the role of registered apprenticeship here in Massachusetts. And I think people are probably familiar with the idea of an apprentice. I mean, that is not new concept. It goes back, you know, hundreds and hundreds ages. of years, ages. You know, uh, the apprenticeship role. We think of apprenticeship traditionally in the in, in the building trades often. You know, that, and that is a really robust and uh, well developed apprenticeship system. Um, but you know, we also have a growing registered apprenticeship uh, effort in many other sectors. In fact, the Healy Driscoll administration has made a big push to expand registered apprenticeships into uh, other sectors, including you know, healthcare, uh, tech fields, uh, early childhood education. In fact, just uh, this past Monday, we had the opportunity to go up to uh, to Lawrence, actually, with Secretary Jones and folks from the uh, Executive Office of Education to make a major grant announcement of um, $5 million in, huge. in state and federal funding to fund as many as 1,000 new apprentices uh, across the Commonwealth in, in a, a whole range of different sectors, including the building trades, of course, because they're a key part of this, but also including, you know, as I mentioned, uh, the healthcare sector, clean energy, uh, tech, early childhood educators. We know, you know, how important... Um, Early childhood education is not just for the development of, of, you know, of our young people, but also, you know, to working parents who, you know, who can't go to work if they can't find, uh, um, uh, you know, early childhood education and care. And so, you know, creating that pipeline, that career pathway and pipeline to develop, you know, the next generation of, you know, teachers, engineers, tradesmen, you know, you name it, is 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 why we're doing this. And the registered apprenticeship model, which is, you know, sort of boil it down to, you know, earn while you learn, you know, which, which is, uh, um, uh, you know, really makes sense in, in such a, you know, basic way. Uh, and that's really the essence of what a registered apprenticeship is. It's an opportunity to earn, a, you know, a living wage while you're learning a trade, uh, also getting classroom experience and developing industry-recognized credentials. So, uh, and, and, and because it's a registered apprentice that's registered with the state, you get that extra um, layer of, of um, you know, uh, imprimatur of, of credibility, <coughs> excuse me, credibility, and also qualify for tax credits and a whole host of other benefits. So, um, you know, one of the tasks that, that I've been given is to try to grow that even more and I'm really excited about this because it's, it's, I think, you know, the apprenticeship is, again, something that's been talked about for you know, years and years, but it's become, you know, a, a, a much more on the front burner now as we've, you know, seen, you know, these labor shortages that we're experiencing and probably will for a while. And we need to bring new people into the into um, these career pathways and upskill incumbent workers and, and apprenticeships offer a tried and true, you know, uh, tested way to accomplish that. So that's one big piece of my job uh, as undersecretary is working to expand and grow our apprenticeship, our registered apprenticeship programs. Um, also, you know, just part of it is also just focusing in general on work-based learning, you know, vocational education, trying to to um, to, to lift all, us all up there. So I'm excited about all of it. Um, it's, it's, it's got some things that are open-ended to that allow me to kind of um, use the experience that I gained at the State House to try to, you know, know craft policy and look at policy from a from a, you know an executive branch you know point of view and see where we can make 
um, some recommendations. Um, so I'm only on week two, uh, and I still have a lot to learn, but uh, it's been a tremendous two weeks, and I'm really excited uh, you know, looking ahead. I was going to ask uh, about, so kind of looking at the press release that you shared about the five the $5 million, <laughs> mm. uh, you get a list of the 25 grant recipients. Um, will there be, is the, is the Commonwealth looking to give out further apprenticeships uh, or is this, or is what they've already announced, uh, it? Yeah, no. So I, in fact, uh, we, we just put out what's called an RFR, um, that I believe the, the deadline is, is early March. It's on, you know, it's on the, the combine site, state site. And so there are additional funds that are available, uh, to, for, uh, you know, companies to apply for. Uh, and we get inquiries every day. Uh, from folks who are interested in, uh, you know, the idea of pursuing registered apprenticeship programs. And we have a, a fantastic team at the Division of Apprentice Standards that helps, you know, to, um, you know, both we have what we call liaisons that are sort of the ambassadors. So when you first, you know, are, are contemplating setting up a program and, you know, they'll kind of walk you through those steps. And then we have an operations team that, you know, manages you know, the ongoing uh, efforts with the registered apprenticeship program. And then we have a compliance team to make sure it's being done correctly and appropriately and that, you know, the apprentices are, are, are having, um, uh, are being taken care of. And, and, and so, you know, it's a, it's a great team. Um, and yes, we just, as, as we just were talking about, made that major grant announcement of $5 million. Mm. But uh, we, you know, thanks to our good friends in the legislature, and I now want to, you know, really thank them for supporting this as line items in the budget. Uh, we also get, you know, some uh, significant federal funding, but we're really appreciative to our friends in the legislature for, for supporting this, uh, and hopefully, I'm, I'm sure we'll continue to do so. Um, and, you know, we want to grow this. You know, we, I'm just looking at the list of, of companies that receive uh, grant funding, and, you know, there's manufacturing apprentices, there's technology apprentices, there's uh, building contractors, there's... Uh, uh, pre-apprenticeship programs for, for younger folks, uh, apprenticeships in the life sciences, hospitality, and technology industries. Uh, I mentioned child care teachers, uh, after-school programs. So, you know, we think of apprenticeship, again, it's just for the building trades, and, and, and it's, it's, it's certainly very strong there and, and, and continues to be. But apprenticeship is something that, you know, can work in almost any sector, and, and we're here to kind of try to make those connections and, and grow this. And a lot of employers are already, I think, recognizing that and, and seeing the benefits. As we get ready to, to wrap up our, our segment, I, c- I can't believe how fast the, the segment has gone. Anything you want to kind of say, say in closing and kind of talking talking about this, um, you know, this new job two weeks in, <laughs> and it seems as though you were, you were enjoying it. And, you know, you, sure, are you going to miss having to wear out, you know, three or four pairs of shoes out there campaigning? But it seems as though you. I actually might not miss the campaigning side of the job as much. I, I think it is much, but I'm, I'm sure you had conversations with the Jim Cantwells and the Vinnie DiMasitos who who have, you know, moved on from the legislature and are serving the yeah. community no, in, I, I in different ways. Just mentioned a couple of great examples of folks who have, are continuing, you know, their careers in public service in just you know slightly different ways. And and it's, it's, I know we don't have a lot of time left, but a quick little lead in. Uh, you know, last Friday I got to go to Bridgewater State University and see the results of a tremendous program they have with their new cyber range that, you know, former Senator DiMacito was heavily involved with, along with President Fred Clark and and a whole team of folks. And and the Commonwealth, you know, partnered with them. And Secretary Jones and I were there for the the ribbon cutting to sort of, you know, commemorate this, which is going to help create, you know, career pathways for young people to get into this new field, which we know is so critical because of, you know, the new cyber, you know, uh, issues that we see with, you know, attacks on malware and, you know, municipalities getting attacked. And so, you know, having that cyber range, uh, those skills are 
are so important. And so having these career pathways and this cyber range that Bridgewater State University has created is a great example of what we were just talking about. And, and, and kudos to the team over there at BSU for, for making it happen. I know we're, I'm getting the high sign here. You're Kevin, getting the high so sign. I'm, I'm, getting, getting, I'm, getting, getting, I'm getting cut off. We're fading the music up. <laughs> you said enough. Um, I, I just want to, I want to thank you for coming in and, and doing this, this segment and let you know that the door doesn't close. But if you have new things that, that are being worked on, by you as the undersecretary, anything that has to do that's labor-related, that, that is going to be exciting news and benefit the fo- fine folks here on the South Shore, you're welcome here anytime. You want to come in and co-host? You, you're welcome to do oh, that okay, as well. Oh, co-host? Too. Really? If you, yeah. Oh, I mean, Peter got to... <laughs> okay. I appreciate that now. Seriously, thank but you. I appreciate but it. We thank you so much. We're going to step aside. When we come back, we're going to speak with Donna Curtin, Executive Director of the Pilgrim Hall Museum, talk about some fun and exciting things that are happening this week. You are tuned in to Monday Night Talk right here on 95.9 WHD. This is Monday Night Talk with your host, Kevin Tachi on 95.9 WATD. Eat, drink, and socialize at the patio at McWiggins in Whitman Center. Sit down with a specialty cocktail and start your meal off with a patio sampler with chicken wings, egg rolls, potato skins, fried cauliflower, and chicken and biscuits. Watch the game on seven 55-inch monitors while digging into braised short ribs, fish tacos, fig and goat cheese flatbread, or koji steak tips. Relax and listen to the live entertainment at the patio every Friday and Saturday night. And don't forget, McWiggins Pub next door. They're located at 546 and 552 Washington Street in downtown Whitman. Join Democratic Party leaders like Lieutenant Governor Kim Driscoll, Senators Elizabeth Warren and Ed Markey, Congressman Stephen Lynch, State Auditor Diana DiZoglio, State Senators Mike Brady and John Keenan, Secretary of State Bill Galvin, and Democratic State Party Chair Steve Kerrigan this Saturday at the first annual John Walsh and DTC Chairs Breakfast at the Marriott Quincy from 10 to 1, hosted by the Plymouth County Democratic League. Go to PlymouthCountyDems.com for tickets and info. The first annual John Walsh and DTC Chairs Breakfast this Saturday at the Marriott Quincy. Join me, Steve Nehrman, host of Breaking the Ice, Let's Talk Inclusion, for a special edition show this Monday night at 9 p.m. where we will talk about the benefits of service dogs for autistic people. We will be talking with Sarah Burns and Michael McElroy, parents of special needs hockey players, as well as Taylor Toll, client services coordinator for Four Paws for Ability. Breaking the Ice, right here on 95.9 WATD. Find Monday Night Talk on Facebook and share your opinions. Go to 959WATD.com slash Monday Night Talk. We return for more Monday Night Talk. Hey, if you miss any of our talk segments... It's worth noting that uh, you can go to the WATD website homepage and click on podcast or we're on Spotify search for Monday Night Talk. And also, if you have any questions during these these segments, Monday Night Talk at gmail.com. Now, if it is a vacation week for, for most folks who have kids, yeah. a lot of times there's a lot of planning as for events and stuff. Uh, and sometimes there's just like, well, we don't want to we want to do a staycation. Was, as you know, Peter Brown uh, is uh, my not only my co-host for the first hour of uh, this evening's Monday Night Talk, but he is also 
the president of the, I believe, the Pilgrim Hall Museum Board. Is that correct? That is correct. Yep. And actually, we have also joining us on the line, we have the executive director of the Pilgrim Hall Museum, the one and only Donna Curtin is joining us. Donna, welcome back to Monday Night Talk. Well, thank you, Kevin, and good evening, Peter. Great to be with the both of you. Good to, good to talk to you, Don. So I want to say, yeah, let's let's first and foremost, should we sing Happy Birthday? Is it not time for the <laughs> the two hundred two hundredth anniversary, uh, or or the Pilgrim Hall Museum celebrating two hundred years? Yeah. Is it too soon, or is there a specific date for the two hundredth, the bicentennial year? Oh, we have so many activities lined up for the year ahead. We're we're really celebrating the entire year throughout, and. I think, Kevin, that actually our organization predates the Happy Birthday song. No kidding. (laughs) My goodness, how do they celebrate birthdays 200 years ago? (laughs) Candles. Uh, Well, maybe with a muffin or something. I'm not quite sure, but probably not by singing the Happy Birthday around this with the cake and the candles. Well, so my so my op my my kind of my opening statement was kind of geared towards anybody who's looking to to learn more about. Uh, the history of the museum. They want to learn more about some of the great things that that uh, are happening at the museum. Am I wrong? Starting tomorrow, there are a, a list of things that are, are occurring this week at the museum that folks can come on down and, and learn more about? Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, one of the things we felt was important for this 200th anniversary year is to let people in our region here on the South Shore to know about the museum. There's so many residents of, of Plymouth and, and the towns surrounding us, Marshfield and Duxbury and the whole South Shore, that really aren't aware of this museum that has been part of our historical landscape for literally two centuries. So we really want to try to open the doors wide and Starting this winter, when there's not a heck of a lot else going on, um, we thought it would be wonderful to offer some free family time uh, to come and visit this very old and significant institution that's right here in our backyards. And we're very fortunate that the Sunrise Rotary Club of Plymouth uh, agreed to sponsor um, a free week of activities for this February Kids Vacation Week that starts tomorrow. And we'll have uh, open hours at the museum um, this Tuesday through Friday, February February 20th through the 23rd, from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. Uh, on those days. And we have some wonderful activities that specifically geared towards families and kids, because there's nothing better than introducing your kids to some of the, the history and, you know, the, 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 just the rich uh, tradition and resources that we have here right in our own backyard. Would, would it be fair to say that maybe folks don't realize that actually the museum is closed, um, has been closed up to this point, and that these special activities almost kind of like a, a soft opening because the 2024 season actually starts on March 1st, right? That's right. So it is a special week. I mean, you're, you can walk in the door at a time when, when we are normally close to the public just because it's the winter season. Mm-hmm. Um, but this, the doors are open for everybody. You can, you know, it's not just for the uh, families and kids to come. You know, if we have visitors in our region or if you have company visiting with you, um, you know, o- over this, uh, these, these, uh, up this upcoming week, you know, please bring them by. You can show them this wonderful museum uh, that's part of the, the history of the region that you live in and explore the um, galleries where we have some of the the uh, earliest and and rarest of um, American made items, things that were made here in early Plymouth Colony. We have things from the indigenous uh, Wampanoag people that lived here uh, for so long, and 
and artworks and historical materials. Um, the oldest document in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts is mm-hmm. currently on display at the museum. Plus, all kinds of things for you to do with the kids. Mm-hmm. And what, what's amazing about it is that on the first floor, some of the artifacts that came over on the Mayflower, and some of the kids and the younger kids, like the boys and girls, would be more that would be very interested in seeing, you know, the um, the tools and some of the weaponry that they brought over, and um, uh, just that they had a baby that came over, and, and the, the little cradle that they used in the, on the ship itself. So, when you go to the you know the Mayflower too, you don't see any of these original pieces. They're all in our museum. And it's it's very great. So. So it's a good opportunity if you haven't been to the museum to come see it. So we have um, these wonderful guides for um, visitors to the museum called Treasure Hunts. And they're great for kids. They're, they're um, geared towards various age groups from, from K to all the way up to high school age. And adults do enjoy them sometimes. And you can um, take those through the museum and sort of discover some of the individual artifacts that uh, Peter was talking about. Um, but we also have for this special week, um, starting tomorrow... Uh, on Tuesday, um, Wednesday, and Thursday, in the morning, we actually have a guided, what we're calling it a gallery expedition. Mm. And uh, one of our uh, knowledgeable staff members uh, will take a group through the museum to look at a couple special things, and you'll have some opportunities that you don't normally have. Uh, for example, we have some really uh, beautifully made reproductions of some of the uh, objects in, in the museum. And although we don't handle the objects that are four centuries old. They're pretty fragile, and they have to be treated with great care. But we do have these reproductions, and you can look at the original, and then you can examine and handle uh, an original and see, uh, uh, excuse me, the reproduction, uh, and have a chance to to see what it's really like. So that's going to be something special that will be happening this coming week. Um, But we also have quite a few other um, special programs coming up that people might enjoy. Yeah, you have a, a few that, that seem like they're very, uh, very kid friendly. Uh, Mary Brewster's Reading Circle, as well as the uh, the Herring Pond Wampanoag Coloring Book. Well, that's uh, on tomorrow's agenda, um, uh, uh, Kevin. Yes, we have um, uh, a costumed character from the 17th century, Mary Brewster, and she's going to be joined by some members of our education committee, and we're going to be looking at some of the books that talk about this early history and have some readings, uh, and Mary Brewster uh, has her basket of goodies that she shares and, yes. and uh, gets the kids right around her in the reading circle, and they, they, they can have a chance for a little hands-on. But then um, later on in the morning at 11 o'clock, we have a special program with the Herring Pond Wampanoag Tribe, and a lot of folks in our region don't realize that um, we have an indigenous uh, tribe living, you know, right they're still here, and they have been uh, for for many, 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 many generations, uh, dating back to, to before colonial times. But uh, that today's contemporary Wampanoag tribal members are going to come in, and they've created a beautiful coloring book um, that's illustrated by uh, an artist who's a tribal member, Quincy Harding. And uh, in collaboration with a wonderful local arts organization called the Community Arts Collaborative, and these are local artists, they've all gotten together to produce this beautiful coloring book, and we're going to have uh, pages for the coloring book and members of the tribe uh, there explaining the history and culture that it represents, and um, people will also uh, be able to have the opportunity to buy a coloring book if they wish um, to take home, but they'll have uh, plenty of opportunities to look at some of this artwork and meet uh, members of the Herring Pond Wampanoag tribe, which is kind of an exciting thing for a lot of folks who've lived here many years 
and really have not connected with the Indigenous residents. Again, if folks are just uh, tuning in, again, we're privileged to not only have uh, Peter Brown, who is here, uh, president of the uh, Pilgrim Hall Museum uh, Board, but also Donna Carton, executive director, kind of give us a, a, a bird's eye view of things that are kicking off tomorrow uh, for the next couple of weeks, right up, right up to the next couple of days uh, with events that are taking place at the Pilgrim Hall Museum, located 75 Court Street. Uh, if you want to find out more, maybe if you're tuned in, you want to kind of check out some of the things that are going on, www.pilgrimhall.org is the way. Um, so if there are other events as well, I see you have a few storytellers that are also uh, tabbed for this week, uh, starting off with, I believe you got Jackson Gilman, the stand-up chameleon. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Jackson is a wonderful uh, uh, storyteller um, with a very uh, comic flair who, who comes up from the Cape. From the Cape. So, so he's uh, sort of a local fixture on the storytelling scene here, and he calls himself the stand-up chameleon, which is kind of <laughs> like the stand-up comedian because he, he, he's a funny guy. But he brings, you know, stories uh, to uh, young audiences, audiences of all ages, and he's going to be focused on wintertime. I mean, it is... Uh, going to be our February uh, vacation week, and um, he tells stories that kind of reflect the character of the season uh, around us. And he sings and dances, and he has all kinds of interactive activities. So that's going to be at 11 a.m. Uh, on Wednesday, the uh, 21st, so just uh, the day after tomorrow, um, and that's at 11 o'clock. And we do have programs every day um, at at um, you know from 10 a.m. Uh, uh, and then an 11 a.m. program every day of the Kids Week, Tuesday through Friday, so people can come uh, in for that first half of the day and enjoy a, a couple of morning programs and then also explore the museum and do their treasure hunt. So, so Donna, those are, in the, those are all in the main gallery, correct? Well, actually, we're moving around a little bit. Nice. Um, so some of, our, some of our storytellers prefer um, the space that we have in our – we have a beautiful – library wing that was added yes. to the building in 1905 and so it's the Steinway Memorial Library and that's a wonderful space to have uh, uh, kids gather there's a big uh, oriental rug and they can kind of gather around the storyteller on the rug so some of the programs are going to be there but then on Thursday we actually have a wonderful uh, puppeteer um, her name is Charlotte Ann Doray and her her outfit is called Rosalita's Puppet Show and she's doing a number of uh, performances for us this season. She does marionettes, but she also does, you know, sort of the soft uh, hand puppets. And she's doing a puppet show for us on Thursday, the 22nd, at 11 a.m., called Auntie Goose. And that's going to be um, most likely in, in the main hall, which is the, the oldest part of the museum. So if we could, if we can also, well, while we're kind of ticking down some of the great, great events that are taking place, let's talk a little bit about Friday, because Friday kind of changes things up. Um, instead of, you know, having the lower gallery expedition like you have Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, you get a little bit of a, a, a rhythm drum circle happening. Yeah, drum music in the museum space is fantastic because we have these sort of natural acoustics in our historic buildings, so it really makes an incredible sound. Um, and we have a wonderful um, musical educator, Ed Sorrentino. He does programs uh, all through uh, the South Shore region, and he's a percussionist, and he has an incredible collection of drums from West Africa. And he brings his authentic drums in, uh, and then also other other drums. So, you know, for as many as will, he has this really... Uh, 
very uh, enthusiastic program. And it doesn't matter if you don't know how to beat on a drum and you don't know anything about drum music because Ed, even someone like myself who barely knows my right from my left hand and has no sense of rhythm at all, uh, can join in his program. He'll, he'll guide you through it. And he'll have the whole room making music with drums from many lands. And it's really wonderful. And that's at 10 a.m. on Friday the 23rd. Ed Sorrentino's uh, Rhythm Drum Circle. We've done, I've done a couple of drum circles with Ed, and it's incredible. He's had 30 people in the room, and the music that he creates after like 15 minutes with 30 people is amazing. So it's it's a really good time. Really? So, yeah. so you, you're say, saying that if you needed to lead an orchestra, <laughs> you know, maybe like to fill one of these days, you could be a guest. Uh, <laughs> You know, we might have to take that up with the maestro. Exactly. Yeah, we might have to talk to Stephen Cardianis and see how he feels about that. Maybe before <laughs> I would li- I'd like to see him do the drum cycle. I bet you'd be pretty good. <laughs> so. and, and then finally, oh, I we, think so. Yeah. And then finally, we have a we also uh, have a, a story. Another storyteller musician. And correct me if I'm wrong. Is it, is it John Persino or John Percino? I, I think it's pronounced Porcino, and mm-hmm. in all of the Italians in the region want to want to put that ch in there, Porcino. Yep. Yep. But I think it's yeah, I got you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he, yes, he's a, a, a New England storyteller, and also who uses uh, music from around the world. He's got uh, uh, you know wonderful musical gifts, and um, he brings the audience into into the storytelling as well. So um, we'll have John Porcino at. Uh, 11 a.m. on the Friday following the drum circle. So there'll be a, a plenty of music in the house on Friday. <laughs> As we get ready to, to wrap things up, Don, and, and thank you so much for kind of laying out the details for folks who are still planning out the, the week ahead. I think we've kind of given them, given them a few things to maybe mark on their calendar to, to stop on by the, the Pilgrim Hall Museum. How excited are you for the year ahead for the, for the many events that are going to be planned for uh, this fantastic institution. I think both Peter and I are, are really beside ourselves. It's it, it's just such an honor to serve an institution like this, and and to have uh, our organization is actually a few years older than 200, but mm-hmm. the building itself mm. is going to be celebrating the 200th. And you know, as I think you know, Kevin, we we are going to be doing some serious restoration on the building. Right. Um, you know, a major uh, a project uh, to make some m- much-needed repairs and improvements to this facility to bring us into the next century successfully. Um, and uh, we, we really want to celebrate and honor the history that um, Pilgrim Hall Museum has preserved exactly. for so long for all of us here uh, in our uh, South Shore communities. Um, and so we do. We have we have several important dates that are coming up this year. But I will just mention September first is the actual official birthday of the museum, and we're going to have uh, uh, another uh, free day, and then we're going to have a evening gala to celebrate um, in under very special circumstances as we prepare for the the restoration of the building. So we're going to have some. Uh, some really fun and, you know, probably uh, the kind of party in the house that hasn't been seen there since yeah. <laughs> the early days of, of the uh, of the museum when it wasn't so full of treasures. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the things that I always uh, talk to Donner about is the, how honored I am to be a part of this whole process. And and every year when we do the um, Forefathers Day and we talk about what what we're gonna are my opening remarks, and I try to go back and and look at the people that led the the different boards and and there's some serious leaders there and I'm just so in awe about it uh, being part of this and I appreciate everything that Donna does. 
we have so much support from the local community too and of course we're always you know encouraging uh, encouraging support for the museum but i just want to say for our 200th anniversary year um we've already had some wonderful yes. sponsors mm-hmm. um the plymouth foundation cape auto body um mm-hmm. helped us kicked off kicked off our 200th anniversary year with some events in january and sunrise rotary club of plymouth sponsoring um the kids to come and families and everyone to come to visit us for free starting tomorrow for the vacation week and uh the edgar and uh, pauline main family foundation is doing the same thing for our april vacation week and more to come as we go through the year yeah. uh, and even our treasure hunts are sponsored um, on an annual basis by the south shore music circus you know they give back to the community as well so we're, we're just so grateful for um, all of the support we receive from from residents our members and you know many local businesses and foundations uh, on the south shore are very supportive of pilgrim hall museum and we're grateful for that and look forward to celebrating with them in 2020 for our 200th big birthday year. <laughs> so if you if you want to be a supporter or be a part of the museum, go to our website. You could be a, a member or you could be a 1620 member. Um, we're looking for people to invest in our future. So I appreciate it. Excellent. Well said. Dawn, I want to thank you so much for, for taking time out of your out of your schedule to to talk with us about this and, and share this information uh, in regards to uh, the, the 200th uh, Pilgrim Hall Museum, uh, the free establishment day and kids week events that are kicking off tomorrow. Uh, We definitely appreciate having you on. Always a pleasure, Kevin. Thank you so much. And Peter, we'll be seeing you soon. Yeah, I'll see you probably Tuesday or tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) And again, just just a a final word here. And that is, is again, if you want to find out more about what's going on, anything we talked about, you have questions, well, you can call 508-746-1620 or Go to the website, www.pilgrimhall.org. Well, that that will do it for the first hour of Monday Night Talk. Peter, thank you very much for joining me. Oh, thank you. You got it. Yeah. We're going to step aside. Hour number two is straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. You're tuned in to Monday Night Talk right here on 95.9 WBTV.
willing to drive. Honey, we're all set here. But your eyes, you even say so yourself, don't like driving at night. Well, that's why I'm following the plow. But that's a sander, Dad. You know what they say. It pays to stay way back. It pays to stay way back. Oh. Too late. I'm Peter Brown of Tiny and Sons Auto Glass in Pembroke. It pays to stay way back. However, if your windshield is broken, just call 1-888-64-TINIES. And thank you. Monday Night Talk continues all week long. Go to 959WATD.com slash Monday Night Talk and keep in touch on Facebook and Twitter. And now, more Monday Night Talk with your host, Kevin Tachi. Our number two is upon us. Later this hour, we'll speak with Scott Vecchi. He is a candidate for Plymouth County Commissioner. But first, we are going to speak with a candidate for State Senate. I believe it's Plymouth, the Plymouth Bunstable District. We have uh, Carrie McRae, who is here with us. Carrie. Hello. Thank you for taking the time for this. I actually think I can say welcome back because you've been on the show before. Yes, I have. All right. I like, re- I like repeat offenders in, the, <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a good way. How are you doing? Doing doing great. Busy, busy, that's for sure. It's, so it's, it is the, the, the political season is upon us. Yes, it is. Uh, for folks who may or may not know you, especially knowing that, that the uh, Plymouth Barnstable District is, is quite vast, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, just a brief synopsis. So, um, again, my name is Carrie McRae. Um, I'm making another run at uh, the state Senate seat. Um, I did run against um, incumbent Senator Susan Moran in 2022. Uh, garnered 44%, which was pretty good, mm-hmm. and, and only spent uh, just under $25,000 doing that. So, you know, I'm excited about the race. I, I am on the Born School Committee. Um, my seat is up in May, which I'm not going to run again. But, of course, I will stay very involved and, and um, connect to uh, to the school district too is is that now being on school committee is that the only thing that you've ever been appointed to or or, or put and, and it doesn't necessarily have to be municipal maybe there's like a, a civic board that you're a part of you know PTA or something like that that you, you've you've kind of been able to kind of work with groups yeah definitely um, over the years you know I have I have three children and um, five grandchildren now um, but my three children I was always involved with their schools um, my oldest son went to Upper Cape Tech um, so I was involved there with you know boosters and PTA type of stuff. Uh, Most recently, um, I've been involved with the um, OCAC. So it's the, uh, let me see if I can get this right. Yes, it is. It is (laughs) um, basically a military support um, for active duty military on the Cape. And um, just recently um, got involved with them. I was uh, working at Massachusetts Military Support Foundation as their business development um, person. And that job led to uh, was led by my volunteer work um, with the, with those organizations as well. What do you feel whether it's you're serving on the Bourne School Committee or even other organizations? What are some of the things that you've learned? What do you feel like your style is when it when it comes to helping to make key decisions? Listening. You know, listening, because I think um, too much in the climate that we are right now, people don't listen. And I will sit there and listen. I might not agree with everything that you're saying. And I'm, there might be some points that I want to address, but I'm not going to go, you know, you know, go against everything. I try to find where the commonality is. And I feel like with every single conversation that I have, I always am able to identify because I listen and, um, and you know, and 
find that commonality. Yeah, a lot of people don't don't know how to d- differentiate between listening and hearing. Mm-hmm, right? Absolutely, and, right. and and if you're able you're able to listen, you're able to kind of you know glean more from what's going on to be able to kind of assess and give you know your your two cents on on what the situation is at least to kind of help uh, remedy the situation. What do you feel are some of the things that you've been able to to accomplish? let's say, on the school committee, or at least help accomplish as a group? Um, so as a group, I think, you know, I had a, a rough go at the beginning there. Um, you know, there were some, you know, opinions that I had personally that, um, you know, when it came to things that were happening within schools across the, the country, you know, you're, you're reading things in the news, seeing things that are happening, and uh, some of which I was like, I want to make sure that's not happening in, in our school district. And so by, again, listening, seeing what was, you know, happening in, in the workings um, and paying attention to it as many details as I can. Um, I did find a couple of things that were um, troublesome. One was um, this uh, organization that we were going to use for teacher training, um, and it was uh, for professional development. It was this uh, organization called Black Print. And I remember the night of the uh, assistant uh, superintendent was saying, oh, and we've signed up with this organization and they're going to help us with uncovering, un, you know, um, our biases that we have and, and things like that to make sure that we're not, um, you know, we're being open to the students and different different things. And I remember um, sitting there listening to this and a couple of the words kind of triggered a little bit of a uh, interest in me. So I went home and did my research and found uh, my poor husband. I I rolled over at like two o'clock in the morning. I was like, look at this. Look at this. This is this is what I've been talking about. We can't allow this in their schools. And um, I downloaded all of the, the information, sent it over to the the chair of the school board and the superintendent and said, listen, you guys need to look at this. I don't think this is what we want to um, to spend $10,000 on for one out of the money that's taxpayer money. And for another, I don't think that this is appropriate for our district. And they did their research and agreed. And that was a, a big um, step for me in that I listened, I paid attention, and then I did research on my own. I didn't call this one or that one. I went right to the source and uncovered some things that just weren't appropriate, especially for our district, and I was able to get that um, shut down, which was good. Let, let's talk about making a decision. Again, it's it's in, it's an interesting year. It's a presidential year, but you also have a lot of state races yes. that are, I mean, that, that every two years, you know, it's... When you are a state senator or your state representative, you're somebody who is like you know, you you campaign, you catch your breath. You campaign, you <laughs> catch your breath. You know, depending on, on how how you do. Mm-hmm. But we've seen a lot of the, the Josh Cutlers. You know, Josh who was on earlier on the show talking about you know being becoming undersecretary of labor. Mm-hmm. He was you know tabbed by the administration. There we go. There's a, there's a seat that's up for grabs. You talk yep. about Sue Moran, who's deciding that she is going to seek. A, a county office in Barnstable County, yep. and not seek re-election. That opens up. You know, you get the dominoes that are falling all, all over, the, over the all place. over the place. I've mentioned it also. Jerry Jerry Cassidy up in Brockton. Uh, he's one of um, three legislators for the city of Brockton East in that area. Um, he's leaving. So you're seeing a lot of turnover, mm-hmm. and, and it's very interesting. So, what was the key factor for you to decide and say, "I'm running again"? I'm 2024. I'm going to run for state senate. Well, I will say um, when I lost in 22, um, I literally thought to myself about, you know, President Lincoln. 
And I'm like, you know what? I have to do it again. I cannot be one of these who says, you know what? I'm going to run and they don't win and then they pout. And then they move on to something different. And I felt like, no, I, I, I think that as a, especially as a woman, as a, a Republican, you know, conservative woman, there's a place for me in the state house. There's it has been over 23 years since we've had a Republican um, woman in the Senate. And I think that's important when you have four men right now to mix it up a little bit. And, you know, people say, oh, the good old boys club. We can't have that anymore. You know, I will push back. I'll I'll speak up. And um, that's the reason why I I actually saw um, Senator Moran um, at the OCAC meeting um, uh, a couple of weeks ago. And I said to her, I said, so so you're you're not running again, huh? She's like, nope, decided not to. I said, well, you just need to pass the torch over to another woman. And let's just leave these guys out of this. And she she laughed. But she said, listen, you know, keep keep going like you're doing. You're fighting. You're out there. I've seen you for the last two years at events, at at, you know, town meetings, you know, things that are happening with 403B and all this stuff across the district. She said, keep it up. Keep up the good work. So I would ask you, uh, you know, it's interesting because that was going to be probably one of my next questions or that I was going <laughs> to pose to you. And that is we are seeing a growing number of, of women leaders, regardless of party affiliation, yep. whether whether it's they're running for a, a, a municipal seat mm-hmm. or running uh, in the, uh, you know, as far as the state legislature. How, how great is that, that we're, we're seeing, you know, uh, a little bit more uh, in regards to women and being leaders. We have, a, a, you know, uh, Governor Healy and, and Kim Driscoll mm-hmm. being women. How important is it that that women have uh, a fair share in a seat at the table when it comes to a lot of the the governance that ha- goes on here in the Commonwealth. Well, I think that's I think that's important when you look at the traditional traditional families, right? You have the husband traditionally is is usually the breadwinner, I and mean, that's just the reality of it, right? Mm. And women are you know you know maybe have part time jobs, they're raising their children, you know that type of thing. So there's a lot of leadership that happens with women. I think that women get you know passed over and. The biggest thing is women are their biggest critics. You know, women don't have the confidence. And I, um, I recently, about a year or so ago, I went through this um, Cape Leadership Institute program. I was working for an attorney, and she said, "You got to go to this. It's going to be great for you. You just ran in 22. I think it's going to be good for you to kind of, you know, kind of see the whole uh, Cape District and the nonprofits and for profits and, and different businesses." And um, we had to do a speech, and my speech was about recognizing that women are their biggest, you know, their biggest, uh, you know, um, I guess, hiccups. You know, is that they don't they don't stand up for themselves. And um, so, for me, I think when we're seeing women like um, De- Denise Spencer Wallace, she's running um, in Plymouth. You know, another woman who's an educator has a PhD, and she sees what's happening with different things in the town of Plymouth and said, you know what, I, I think I can bring a different a different level of leadership to it. So I think it's it's exciting to see more and more women um, stepping up and taking you know having the confidence to say, you know I think I think we can mix things up and, and make a good impact. It's important that we evolve evolve as a society. Long gone are the days of leave it to beaver yep. and all those where as you you said where you know mom's home and mm-hmm. doing whatever dad's out working nine to five your kids and all that it's not like that anymore it's not like that anymore nope. things have changed and, and they change for the better i agree and that's that's definitely important talking about and you look at look at the 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 women leaders here on the south shore who are state reps mm-hmm. state senators you mentioned sue moran you got allison 
uh, Sullivan Almeida. Yeah. You got Kathy Linatra. Uh, you got Joan Moschino. Mm-hmm. Just to name a few. I mean, you, I I hope that you're. The Salsa delegation is very well represented, and it sounds to me like you're looking to kind of join it. When it comes, I know that you have a party affiliation. Yes. Um, but how important is it to kind of work together as the delegation has done in the past for the betterment of the South Shore? Oh, I think it's definitely important that you work together, you know. But I, I also think that, you know, one of the issues that we saw in, in 22, and nothing against Miss um, Lenatro, but when it comes down to politics— People will sit there, so many Republicans I hear um, that are in office that are say, oh, it's really hard to get these things done because, you know, we don't have enough of us in office. You know, there's, you know, only a handful of senators, only a handful percentage wise of, of representatives. So we're trying to advocate for you. But yet we, we just don't they, they don't listen to us. You know, they hear us, but they don't listen to us, to your point before. And. My pushback to quite a few of these representatives, um, including Rep. Moratori, was you can't sit in one moment and complain that you don't have enough support, but then also go and, you know, make commercials, do TV ads with two Democrats when you're a Republican and you have two Republicans that are running against those two Democrats who are your friends, which is great. But, you know, that's that's kind of my, you know, position on that is I think that we need to work together 100 percent. But we also need to uh, make sure that we, um, you know, once we're there and we're in office, that obviously we work together because everybody's listening to different things, you know. What are you hearing from the voters at this particular time? What are the voters, you've announced your campaign, what are voters coming up to you saying that, that are some of the things that concern them uh, moving forward uh, into 2025, 2026, if you're elected? Immigration is a big thing, and not just immigration and, oh, we need more money from the federal government to pay for it. Um, no, I, I, I have spoken with so many legal immigrants who have spent tens of thousands of dollars to become citizens here, which I don't agree with. That, that shouldn't be that way. Um, you should be able to present papers and, and do a process that's not so much attached to buying your way in. Um, but that being said, you know, we have people in our community, we've seen it on the South Shore, we've seen it down in the Cape, where people weren't vetted, and they were people that shouldn't be in the communities, you know, um, and not just our community, but they shouldn't be in the communities where they are from. So immigration is a big thing. Obviously, it's costing us a lot of money. I'm seeing it on a school committee. I mean, we just had, you know, a meeting recently, and we were discussing, you know, the impact that the lack of funding that we're getting from the state, which again, it's not the state's money, it's our tax dollars that are put into the funds of the state. And the majority of people, whether you're a Democrat, independent, libertarians, Republicans, don't agree with the fact that so much of our hard-earned money is being spent on people that are here illegally. You know, um, that's a huge piece. That's that's a big piece. And, of course, it trickles down into the economy. They're linked. You know, the economy and that, I mean, the housing situations, people can't afford it. I mean, the small businesses are being hurt. I know someone right now who has a small business. I say small business, but relatively um, small, does, you know, multi-million dollars in sales a year. And they're moving their business literally right now, this week, to Alabama along with two of their employees that they're setting up in, for housing in Alabama and paying them their hourly pay they have here in Alabama. 
that's sad to me that they have to leave the state because it's just crazy the amount of money and taxes and the cost of running a business in Massachusetts. It's scary. If you're just tuning in, we are speaking with Carrie McRae. She is a candidate for state senate, the Plymouth Barnstable District. And, and again, if you miss any of these conversations, we do have a podcast site. Be sure to to check it out. And, and with the benefit of Monday Night Talk, show you hear interviews on other shows or even during the news. But we do our best to try to give our candidates a nice chunk of time to talk about where they've been, who they are, mm-hmm. and what their thoughts are as to you deciding on whether or not that the candidate for you and the candidate to help lead the Commonwealth for the next couple of years. Uh, we're privileged to be able to, to provide that, and we've been doing so for nearly 15 years, and hopefully, God, God willing, we'll keep doing it. Um, let's talk about a couple of other key things that are, are, are you talk about the migrant situation. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about local aid, how important that is. We look at local aid. We worry about local aid for our roads, our yep. streets. Um, schools, schools very much depend on what the cherry sheet says. Yes. The beginning of the year, when the the governor just put out her budget, give me give me your thought as to uh, we've already hearing that the twenty twenty five budget is going to be different. We've also just heard within the past couple of weeks nine C cuts to the twenty four budget because. We need to offset things for the monies that are being spent for the migrant situation. Give me your thoughts. Yeah, well, that's that's exactly what it is, and um, and and whether you talk to Democrats in office right now or Republicans, they're all agreeing that's the same thing that a lot of this money is, um, you know, that that a lot of the offset that we're dealing with is um, because of the immigrants and. We just don't have the capacity. We don't have the money. We don't have, I mean, we have so many people that are on, you know, on housing lists to get just a reduced housing. They're working and they can't afford, you know, housing that, um, you know, is $2,800 a month for our two bedrooms. I mean, it's it's just lunacy. And, you know, and part of that was driven by the amount of money that, that we as state taxpayers through Maura Healy's administration were paying hotels and these places to house these people. That was, I mean, I I know of an individual who was staying at a hotel down in Yarmouth who was paying $30 a night to stay there, but was paying, you know, monthly, jacked up to $70 a night, and then $100 a night, $700 a week, $2,800 a month. It, it just It just wasn't feasible, but they got their rent because they got it from the state for the illegal immigrants. That's wrong. The word is is that the the state, the Commonwealth, is paying a handsome amount to some of these facilities to be able to house these individuals who are coming in because of uh, our current laws that are on the books that we can't turn away folks who who come seeking... seeking Asylum or, or wanting to be able to stay here, but we that's being ex- but that's being exploited. It's not the beat up governor Healy show, but you know when you're advertising in specific areas like Florida and Texas with billboards saying, "Hey, everybody comes to Massachusetts. We you can make a good life for yourself here." That type of thing. When we invited this situation, and you know what, when it comes to the right to shelter law, it doesn't say anywhere in there that you can just walk across the border of Massachusetts and now you're a resident. No, what we've done is we've made them residents by giving them a place to live. And that's why the legislation and, 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 and 
And, you know, Maura Healy and, and Kim Driscoll are, are sitting there saying, well, now we've got to take care of these people. No, we don't. We don't. Is there a way, is there a way that the legislation, that the legislature can fix the right to shelter law? Or, there is. Uh, with, with amend- so what would you propose for any kind of amendment to kind of fix that situation? For, for citizens, for one. Yeah, okay. <laughs> let's, let's just leave it at citizens. And, and that's not the way it is right now. It's, it, we can't. We have a capacity problem. We don't have we don't have enough space. That's why we have people that are living behind uh, down in Hyannis, living behind you know Lowe's buildings and and different buildings because they're going to the the housing authority mm. and and Barnstable and they're saying, "Sorry, you're on a wait list. I don't know what to tell you." Really? Because you just kicked all those people out in Yarmouth. To put illegal immigrants in. It, like, it makes no sense. We're doing more for people that aren't even part of the tax base, aren't even legal citizens. They're lawbreakers. And, 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 I, and I, I know that there's a compassion piece of it, which is true. I, I get that. But I, I think about like um, a life raft, right? When you go and you get a life raft, there's an accident on a boat, and the capacity says 25 people. So what do you do? You sit there and do you put 150 people on it? Mm. No, because the boat's going to go down and now everybody's gone. Right. So there is a capacity problem. And 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 I hear, you know, my my uh, my opponents, both the Democrat and the Republican opponents saying, well, you know, we have to be kind. We have to be, you know, compassionate. Um, And, you know, this is the federal government's problem. It's their fault. And they need to give us money for this. No, because at the end of the day, guess where the federal government gets their money from? Us, the taxpayers. So it's, it's, no, it's against the law. We don't have enough room, and it's as simple as that. Okay. We have a few minutes left here, so a couple more things I want to make sure I ask you while I have you here. (laughs) Um, District needs. Uh, What do you, what do you think, what are some of the district needs that you understand that you'd like to kind of work on? Well, obviously, we've got the situation with the bridges. I mean, that's a huge thing. And that, that you know, really encompasses the whole district, um, you know, uh, Plymouth Barnesville District. And, and again, you know, we're, we're spending money to, you know, put Band-Aids on. We're spending money, millions of dollars, to, like, come up with new ideas. No. We need to, at the end of the day, it just needs to be fixed. And we need people like, you know, Keating, who, who has been in there a long time, if he's not going to be effective, if these legislators who have been in office for 8 to 10 years or 15 to 20 or 30 years aren't being effective in getting the aid that we need, getting the bridges fixed, which is a, which is a safety concern, mm. we need to vote for new people. And, and if, if you're not doing the job, we just saw Bill Belichick, right? He's done an amazing job. Mm. But guess what? Recently he wasn't. So what happened? They let him go. Doesn't mean he wasn't a great coach. Doesn't mean he wasn't an amazing coach. But at the end of the day, if you want new politics and you're not happy with how things are, you got to let people go. Okay. Anything we haven't talked about that we haven't touched upon that you want to at least uh, take a moment to talk about? I think it's important that people vote and people vote early because, you know, we saw in the the 2022 election um, and 2020, but 2022 election that... You know, the Democrats and a handful of independents are taking that opportunity to make to make sure that their vote counts. Um, the Republicans and 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 conservatives are waiting till election day. And there were so many people that I met after the election who said, "Oh my gosh, I was going to vote for you. I loved everything that you had to say." 
Michael, why didn't you vote? Well, something happened that day. Well, you know what? In Massachusetts, early voting. you don't have to worry about one day. Hmm. Early voting. Early you voting. know, on Election Day when they were tallying the votes and um, and we're all sitting there together at Cabby Shack, I was so excited seeing all the results from the day from election day, you know, I think we were ahead like three or four towns on election day, which was awesome. And then all the mail-in ballots got processed. And I'm not saying that it was not done legitimately. I don't I don't think that at all. Mm. I, I trust all of our town clerks and the systems in our towns. But we need to take advantage of that just like the other people are doing. You know, we have to get out and vote early. We have to make sure that we don't just sit there and complain if we're not happy with how things are going that we believe in this system and that we go and we vote. That's the only way we can win. Again, we've been speaking with uh, Carrie McRae, candidate for state Senate. Uh, if folks want to find out more about you, uh, social media platforms, website, uh, any of the above? Yes, so I'm com for my website. So it's K-A-R-I-M-A-C-R-A-E.com. And um, I'm on social media, Committee to Elect Carrie McRae. And also I have another um, Facebook page, too, that's just Carrie McRae. Well, I want to thank you so much for coming in, joining us uh, on this President's Day to talk a little bit about your campaign for office, and we look forward to hopefully talking with you more Absolutely. down the road somewhere. Thank you. We are going to step aside. More Monday Night Talk, the final installment. We'll speak with uh, Scott Vecchi, running for county commissioner in just a moment. You are tuned into, that's right, you guessed it, Monday Night Talk here on 95.9 WATD. Stay tuned. This is Monday Night Talk with your host, Kevin Tachi, on 95.9 WATD. Eat, drink, and socialize at the patio at McWiggins in Whitman Center. Sit down with a specialty cocktail and start your meal off with a patio sampler with chicken wings, egg rolls, potato skins, fried cauliflower, and chicken and biscuits. Watch the game on seven 55-inch monitors while digging into braised short ribs, fish tacos, fig and goat cheese flatbread, or koji steak tips. Relax and listen to the live entertainment at the patio every Friday and Saturday night. And don't forget, McWiggins Pub next door. They're located at 546 and 552 Washington Street in downtown Whitman. Find Monday Night Talk on Facebook and share your opinions. Go to 959WATD.com slash Monday Night Talk. We return for more Monday Night Talk. Hey, if you miss any of our talk segments, it's worth noting that uh, you can go to the WATD website homepage and click on podcast, or we're on Spotify. Search for Monday Night Talk. And also, if you have any questions during these these segments, Talk at gmail.com. And we have come to the closing chapter of Monday Night Talk here on your President's Day edition. And, uh, of course, we're going to close out strong. Uh, joining us is a gentleman who uh, is uh, a candidate for Plymouth County Commissioner. It's been a while since we've had a conversation, but he has been on this radio program many times before. And I don't see him not being on the radio show in the future, regardless of, of the outcome later this year. I'm talking about the one and only Scott Vecchi. Uh, he is a candidate for Plymouth County Commissioner. Scott, how are you? 
Great, and I appreciate you having me here. Uh, it's always fun to be at WATD, and like I said, we've done this uh, a bunch of times before, and I'm sure we'll do it a bunch of times again. Amen. For folks who are going, who, who's Scott Vec? Who, who's that? Give him a little bit of a, a little bit of a background. You just a small background on on who you are, maybe some of the the things that you've done, whether as a candidate or somebody who has done stuff as an appointed figure or anything like that. Um, I'm I'm currently a practicing attorney. Uh, I specialize in bankruptcy. Um, I'm learning learning immigration along the way. Um, of, I'm of, just became of counsel with a Miller and Associates out of Mansfield. So we're going to have uh, the Plymouth office is going to be my office and, and the uh, the main office is in Mansfield. Um, so i am been an attorney for uh, 10 years. I, I was admitted, admitted in 2013. I went to UMass Law. It's a great law school. Um, but I haven't really done anything with it because I was a sergeant with the Plymouth Police Department, which I have recently retired. Um, so no longer being a public employee is a benefit when you're running for a public office. It's been very difficult in the past when I've run for things to uh, to be a public employee. So I'm I'm an attorney. I'm a retired gunnery sergeant of Marines. I, I served in the Marine Corps in Iraq. Um, Thank you for your service. Appreciate that. Um, retired police sergeant. It's uh, it's it's great to be uh, to be retired for the second time because I'm re- retired from the Marines and now I'm retired from the police department. And uh, you know I my my life has been a commitment to service, and I see this campaign and this candidacy as a continuation of my commitment to serve, uh, whether it's my country, whether it's my town, whether it's our community or the county. Um, my whole life has been about service, and that's what I hope to do is to continue to serve the citizens of Plymouth County as your next Plymouth County Commissioner. Now, you have been appointed, I think you've served on, on other committees or boards in the past. Uh, have you known for, for about the last 15 years. Um, on and off, there's probably a couple gaps in there, but uh, I was elected as a, a town meeting representative. Plymouth has elected town meeting representatives. Uh, then I was appointed to the Charter Review Committee. Um, I was later um, elected to the Charter Review Commission. I'm currently an elected uh, commissioner with the Plymouth Redevelopment Authority. Um, there's a, a long backstory to the Redevelopment Authority. Its main purpose was to remove blight and, and redevelop blighted areas uh, to make them more beneficial for the town. Uh, right now, what we're kind of focusing on is affordable housing. Affordable housing is a, is a, is a, is a problem. It's a problem everywhere, not just in Massachusetts. We're, uh, we're in the process right now of, uh, of use, uh, taking a tax title property. Uh, we're just waiting. The land court, you know, the wheels of justice turn slowly everywhere. Um, so the land court is in the process of giving us a clean title to a property that we're, we're looking to build a, a house with Habitat for Humanity. And, uh, and that's going to be a good thing, and that's going to help some, you know, a needy family, you know, with a, with a, with a house. To, and Habitat for Humanity has done it a, a whole bunch of times. So hopefully once we get this rolling and, we, you know, we're, we're as a board, we're, we're looking to continue that with different tax title properties. We're already looking at some other ones, you know. And, and like I said, you're taking something that's sitting vacant and turning it into a, a beneficial thing for a, for a needy family, and that's that's important. What do you feel some of the things that you've been able to either accomplish as a member of a board or committee or, or even somebody who is who has sought office in the past? Um, well, there's there's a lot of things that you know that have that have come along, and and uh, you know I, I have been a candidate a couple of times. I've run for Plymouth County Commissioner before, um, unfortunately, unsuccessfully, um, but uh, I've learned along the way, you know. And the thing is, is I'm not a politician, and uh, what I found is I'm a little too plain spoken at times, and you know sometimes the truth hurts. So, um, you know, try not 
you know, craft myself along the way. I think I've become the the last election. I I did put up one hundred and nine thousand votes across the county. So that was that was you know. You did defend, defend you know while it may not have been the outcome that you expected. That's that's a heck of an accomplishment. Well, the um, the thing was was we accomplished our goal mm. in that election, and and we we had done an analysis of past elections, and we said we need to put up one hundred and five to win, mm. and we we did what we set out to do. Unfortunately, the goalpost moved. You know that 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 election cycle was was you know there was there was a lot going on in that election cycle. You know far beyond the Plymouth County uh, races. So, but um, but you know along the way, you know I, I think that just in being a candidate in the past. You know, I've seen you know some of my opponents co-op my ideas afterwards. Um, I've actually seen a few things go into place, and I'm like, hey, that was my idea. Um, but you know, who cares if it's my idea as long as it was a good idea and as long as it benefited you know the community later on. So, you know, I kind of just chuckle to myself and say, hey, look, you know, I, I did. A, I might not have won that election, but I did accomplish things when I see you affected change. Yeah, yeah, and that's and that's what we all hope to do. You know, we hope to affect change for the betterment of the community and the county. Throwing your hat in the ring now, it is going to be a very busy election cycle. Now, and it's a, a presidential year. Are you are you hoping that with the presidential year, especially you're going to have the primary, depending on how you do in the primary, you know, the election, general election in November, do you feel that it's going to be a big year in general when it comes to overall elections? Um, I think the uh, I think the fact that there are so many open seats. And, no, um, but you're, you're, you're kind of in the ballpark. We, yeah. We're seeing uh, the South Shore legislative delegation. We're seeing a lot of oh, folks. Oh, John, who Josh Cutler, got, he got a yeah. job with the, with the Healy administration, so his seat's open. Um, with with uh, Senator Moran, not you know not running for re-election for her seat, but she's running for, uh, I forget what it is, Barnstable. Yeah, some uh, officer seat in Barnstable. Yeah, she's she running for a seat in Barnstable. Um, so that's opened up so many different seats along the way. I think I think that's good, you know, because the rising tide lifts all ships. So you know, and, and there's, there's a slew of great candidates out there. So you know, like I said, I look at it this way: is you know, this is going to be a very active election cycle, and everybody's going to be driving out their base. And, you know, and then there's some, some other good Democratic candidates out there, you know, in, for these different seats. You know, the open seat in Plymouth, because Matt's going to run for Senate, has driven out a, a slew of great candidates. Um, so I think that that's going to, you know, they're all going to push out their base. And, uh, you know, like I said, the rising tide, the more the more Democratic or run and roll candidates that lean Democratic that come out, the better it is for me. Um, you know, I personally think I'm going to do quite well, just, just based on my past history. Um, but I, I think that... Such an active election cycle definitely benefits the candidates. It's worth noting to folks who are tuning in that for the county commissioner's race, there are going to be two seats that are up for grabs. You're going to have two candidates that are seeking re-election in Jared Valenzuela and uh, Greg Hanley. So it's going to be quite an interesting year to see what happens across the board. Every seat, it's, you know, folks call for... Hey, there has to be something put in place for folks to, you know, not seek, you know, a reelection or that this should be like the president. The president can only serve two terms, term limits. But, you know, I feel that every election is a term limit in, it, in itself. Then the people get to decide. And the people get to decide whether you're there. And, and like I said, I, you know, I, I'm not running because I think that the other people are bad candidates. Um, you know what I mean? And Democrat, it's an opportunity. Democrats don't run against Democrats. They run against you know the other side, but um, the uh, I just believe that I bring a lot to the table. You know, I have some really good ideas. 
Um, and some of them aren't new ideas for me. You know, like I said, I've run for Plymouth County Commissioner in the past, and and uh, you know, one of the one of the biggest factors that every voter cares about is public safety. And for t- over 20 years, there's been a, a plan on the table. I actually have the actual plan in a little clear fold. Um, for those things they used to use in school, they had the little clear report covers yeah. um, for the Plymouth County Fire Training Facility, uh, otherwise known as a burn building. And that's been on the table for 20 years. But I don't know about you, but if my house is on fire, I want the firefighters that are coming in to be the best trained, you know, ready to put that fire out, ready to save, you know, save my 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 house and, and everything in it. And, you know, and so public safety is huge. And, and I believe that Right now, um, there is a huge opportunity with with some of the things that are going on in Plymouth and some of the you know development that's proposed on county land to actually affect that Plymouth County Fire Training Facility. Um, the other thing that I that I want to do is I want to conduct a feasibility study. Uh, education, Ed- education is huge. I'm gonna back up just a sec. Um, what what does everybody in the county and their communities care about? Having the best educated students. Um, but most people don't know is there is no Plymouth County Agricultural School. That if we somebody in your town wants to go to the agricultural school, your town pays twenty thousand dollars to send them to either Norfolk or Bristol. So, I'm not saying let's build a, a you know fifteen million dollar school. I'm saying let's conduct a feasibility study to see is is a Plymouth County agricultural school a viable thing? You know, is that something that the county should be involved in? Is is that something that would benefit the twenty seven communities, many of which are right to farm communities? Um, the other one is is uh, something that's that's been forever. Is is uh, I'm not sure if you you came to one of my pig roasts or anything like that. But before I got, I've to, seen pictures on social yeah, media. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, when I got divorced, I had to sell my 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 big house. But um, I had solar panels on my roof because I'm a huge believer in green energy and net zero. So around the county, the county owns many buildings. But around you know around the county buildings, you know if the, if they do a roof array, a ground array, or something like that. You know, why couldn't we, you know, put up some, some solar panels to offset the county's carbon footprint to, to, you know, to move towards net zero? You know, and I think that's a huge thing. No matter where you look today, you see, you see green energy. You've seen uh, over the T stations, they have the solar panels that, you know, also benefit as shading the cars and protecting them from snow and all that other stuff. You know, I'm not saying something huge like that, but, you know, there's, there's a nice big open area right next to the county administration building that we could put a, you know, a small ground-mounted array that would that would generate some some energy and, and offset the county's electrical bills to save money, as well as reducing our carbon footprint. And the other one is, the uh, the county needs to develop new revenue streams. They need to monetize their resources. Um, you know, right now with the housing market as it as it is. You know, I personally would like, you know, would like to move from my condo went back into a house. You know, I've been divorced for over five years now, so I'm kind of in that position where I'm, I want a house again. And uh, there's nothing on the market. You know what I mean? And, and, and what's on the market, you know, you get the real high end or you get stuff that needs a ton of work. So there's not a lot moving through the registry of deeds. And that's what the county's main revenue stream is the registry of deeds. Uh, once the sheriff removed the, his department from the county, um, that's when the county almost went bankrupt because nobody realized what a big revenue stream that was. Um, so now they, when they change the funding formula, the county only keeps about a dime on the dollar. Mr. Buckley would be the, the, the actual authority on that figure, but I'm just speaking in rough terms. Um, so they need to develop other revenue streams. They administer the parking ticket program, some other stuff. But when I retired, um, and here's a fun fact. When you retire uh, as a public employee, what they don't tell you is you don't get a check for a while um, because it has to. It takes a while. So what did I do personally? 
I sought out and I developed new revenue streams. You know, I, I started, I, I actually, I got my EMT cert certification, so I've been working on the ambulance as another revenue stream because I wasn't getting, you know, had to wait to get my, my pension check. So that's what I'm looking at the county is, is, is if I can do that as a person, then why as a county can't we go out and, and actively seek new revenue streams to make sure that, you know, that Plymouth County stays as, as, as viable as it possibly can. When they shuttered all the other counties, they didn't shutter Plymouth County because Plymouth County is a viable and important form of government. And, you know, probably in the beginning, I should have said, you know, everybody's like, county commissioner, what is that? What do you, what do you yeah, do? Don't, don't, that's my next question. Oh, so there we go. All right. So, so don't I, answer it, but finish up with what you're saying in regards um, to so, revenue streams. Um, you know, like I said, you know, personally, you know, I wasn't getting a check. I didn't realize, you know, that I wasn't going to get this check for as long as I did. Fortunately, it came a little earlier than, but so if I can go out and develop my own revenue streams, you know, whether, whether it's out there, uh, you know, working on the ambulance or doing something else to you know, keep the money coming in, that you know, what the county has to do to the same thing. We have to say, hey, look, this one revenue stream is not feeding us as much as we need it to. You know, what other things, what other services can we provide that develop cash, that develop, that develop revenue to keep the county viable in the county? It's an invisible form of government because I don't know if I'm going to get that. Hey, but um, out down south and out west. You know, it's, it's a different Mar different form of yeah. county is uh, Marshfield doesn't touch Duxbury down. You know, if you if we were in Florida or, or Arizona, you would leave Marshfield and before you hit, you know, the next town over, there'd be 20, 30 miles of unincorporated territory. So that's why in other parts of the country, the county is such a big thing is because mm. the county is primary jurisdiction of the unincorporated territories. But because we are the oldest part of America. Everything touches, so there is no unincorporated territory. Mm. So the county becomes an invisible layer of government, but it does still provide some important services. And and the and the biggest thing that it provides is the ability for towns to help each other. You know, if Marshfield needed something from Plymouth, well, they well, they're both independent. You know, they're le legal entities in and of their own, but the county has jurisdiction over everything. So the county could be a, a conduit to help these communities help each other. And that's the most important thing is because we want everybody in the county to thrive as much as possible. Every town to have the services they need. Yep. So if the county can be that conduit and, and legally, you know, and I'm not going to go down a legal rabbit hole because I'm going to start talking I'm going to jump in stuff. just a moment and let folks know that uh, you are tuned into Monday Night Talk here at 95.9 WATD. Every Monday night, going on 15 years we've been here, uh, providing the conversation that is vital to helping to uh, inform folks as to what's going on. And uh, we are privileged to have Scott Vecchi, who is a candidate for Plymouth County Commissioner. And he's kind of giving you some insight into uh, his knowledge of the county, how it operates, and some of his vision, uh, if he is so uh, successful, to uh, secure a four-year term. Now, you are, you are about to breach the, the question that a lot of people ask because, again, county government isn't the, the thing that's in the foremost mind of, of many folks. They know about... The municipality, they know about state government, but there's a lot of questions as to what exactly the county, the county does. So, so this is a two-part question, and that is: is uh, to your understanding, what does a county commissioner do? And second, uh, what was the, when did you make that decision? To say I'm pulling papers, and I'm going to run. Um, I um, the first part is you know a county commissioner. I like to analogize it to a selectman. Everybody understands, every town understands what their selectmen do. The, you know, the city of Brockton understands what their city councilors do. And the county commissioners function that way. It's, it's a three-person elected board of part-time government. 
Uh, you know, they meet twice a month, usually down in the county administration building. They, they had some water issues that I think they fixed. Uh, so they were over at the registry of deeds for a little bit. But the county is, like I said, that invisible layer of government. It would almost be a if you th- thought of a, the town formal government that stretched across 27 communities. You know, those those elected selectmen, they all have full-time jobs somewhere. They do something else. And, you know, but they put a lot of their own time in and, and you know, they serve and make the decisions for, for all. The, you know, there's a county administrator, a county treasurer. You know, they, they obviously the registry of deeds, the register of probate. Those are all county offices, all, all important things that people don't think of when they when they walk in. You know, when I got divorced, I had to go to probate court. You know, and my, and my you know my, my divorce is, was filed with you know the the, uh, the probate court, and that's that's one of the you know, parts of Plymouth County government. Um, when you read when you buy a house. You have to register your deed. You have to do a title search. You have to, you know, you have to do all those things that are important, you know, important things. That, you know, that's part of county government. So just think, if you think of a of, of a selectman, if you think of, you know, um, an imaginary town that stretches twenty seven communities, you know, that would best explain county government. Okay. Now, when did you decide that, you know, I, I want to throw my hat in the ring. I want to, I want to seek office. I know I've run for it previously. You know what? I'm going to give it the old college try again. Um, yeah, I've been thinking about it for a little while, and um, you know, I I I probably been I don't know exactly when I said I'm I'm definitely going to do this, but I've been you know I've been thinking about it since last summer or last fall, and uh, you know, putting together a good team because you can't you can't just run out and and trust me, I've I've run across the county by you know by myself with a half a dozen helpers, and and we've done very well in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, but this time, I put together a very professional team. Um, you know, I have the people in place that need, you know, I, I'm pretty sure everybody across the county is getting emails from me already and text messages and you're seeing my ads pop up in your Facebook and Instagram feeds. Um, like I said, you know, it's, you know, I've, I've, I've learned along the way. I've evolved as a candidate along the way. And, you know, like I said, this, this time, you know, it's going to be, you know, way better than, than, than anything in the past. And, and, you know, why I, I have this altruistic streak and, you know, sometimes, you know, gets the better of me when I, uh, you know, I see things that I think can be fixed and can be improved. And for my entire, you know, whether it was in the Marine Corps, you know, whether it was a police officer, the things that needed fixed, they'd be, you know, they'd bring me in and, you know, and I, and I'd fix things and make them better. Um, You know, before we went to Iraq, um, I, uh, I've got brought my, I was friends with the Sergeant Major and he, and he, I had served in our scout sniper platoon as, as, uh, you know, as, as a young corporal. And then I, you know, picked up rank and became a staff sergeant. And I and I talked to him. I go, hey, look, you know, I'm I'm ready to make a move to go find a new home. And he's like, do you want to take over the sniper platoon? It needs it needs fixing. And before we went to Iraq, the uh, the schoolhouse at Quantico told me that I had built the best scout sniper platoon active or reserve in the entire Marine Corps. Um, and to me, that was a huge accomplishment. You know, I actually wrote a change to Marine Corps doctrine that was implemented. Um, so I've I've affected change. You know, throughout my career of, of public service. You know, you know, I was very proud to serve my country. I was very proud to serve my town as a police officer, very proud to serve my town as an elected and appointed official. Um, you know, two trips through the charter was, you know, we, we dissected our charter line by line by line. Most people don't even understand what the charter is, uh, but that's what spells out your form of government. So I did it once as an appointed, you know, um, charter review, and then once as an elected charter commissioner, um, you know, but but we we affected changes, you know, and, and while the last charter didn't get voted in, there's still provisions in it that they're looking to adopt um, because they they were good good changes. So, 
you know, I look at it this way is even though, you know, my term as a charter commissioner expired and that charter didn't get voted in, some of the changes that we brought about and by dissecting that charter line by line by line will affect future change and will, will, will you know, improve the government in the town of Plymouth for the better years to come. So just have a few minutes left, so I want to kind of make sure we kind of pop a few questions. And, and that is, you know, you look at Plymouth County government, you look at the county commissioners. Yeah, there was a time when there was it was the commissioners when they would meet and some of the things that were news items, you know, folks would kind of roll their eyes and be like, well, what, are, what are they doing? But I think I feel that that over the years that has changed. It's changed for the better, I think. Around the pandemic, you had individuals in county government who sought a way to help its membership. And we're talking uh, CARES Act funding. We're talking ARPA funding. Um, but, you know, the ARPA funding is going to be coming to an end. and It's going to sunset eventually. Okay, what's what's next on the horizon for the county commissioners to shine? And I think you might have highlighted a few of them. But if there was anything additional that we haven't touched upon, do you feel that the county commissioners need to be forward thinking when it comes to showing their worth as a, a governing body? And, and that's an excellent question because, you know, as, as elected representatives, you always – you can't be stagnant. You always have to look to the future. And one of the things that, that with me over the years is I understand that I don't have all the answers. And um, and so I'm um, you know look you look outward you look to the stakeholders you look to build consensus you look to bring people in um, and in the the county ag idea wasn't wasn't my I didn't come up with that all on my own I that some I was talking to people and somebody brought an idea to me and I'm like that's a great idea and like I said if, if when we do the, the feasibility study I'm gonna you know we're gonna reach back out and bring those stakeholders in and you know they they actually had ideas on where where it could be set up at you know little little to no cost. Mm. And you know, and different pieces of, of farm farmland that could be used for it. So that's the whole thing: is you need to continuously look down the road, but you also need to understand that you don't have all the answers. That there are lots of people out there with great ideas, and you have to be open and receptive when somebody brings an idea to you. Because if you just dismiss it as something that you're not interested in, you're, you're doing your community a disservice. So, and that's you know, everybody who knows me, you know, I can be a little gruff at times, you know. I, I think but, we all can be, but uh, but I listen. If you, if you bring an idea to me, I'm going to listen to you. We're going to flush it out. We're going to see if it's viable. And, and I think that's going to be my biggest attribute as, as a county commissioner is understanding, hey, look, there are other people out there with the answers, the, the revenue streams. I got some ideas, you know what I mean? But I'm sure there's a lot of other people out there that have, you know, other or better ideas. So bring let's bring them into the fold. Let's, let's, let's build a consensus. Let's work this together. Uh, we got like three minutes left. I think that that's enough time to – Either if there's something we haven't touched upon, for you to briefly touch upon it, and also let folks know how they can get involved or learn more about your campaign. Um, and and I trust me, I need all the help I can get. Um, so if you want to go to my website, vote the number four Vecchi V E C C H I. That's V like Victor. Um, dot org. You can just Google Scott Vecchi; it all comes up. I trust me. I need help. I need help collecting signatures. I need help, you know, raise, raising raising funds to buy ads, like all that other stuff. I need as much help as as as, as people can offer. Um, how do you get in touch with me? My my email address is scott.vecky at gmail dot com. My cell phone number. Not too many people are going to give their cell phone number on the radio. Seven eight one seven zero six five seven two six. Call me. I mean, if I'm busy, if I'm obviously working on the ambulance, I might not be able to answer, but. You know, I'd like to have a conversation about ideas that, that we could better the county. Um, 
the uh, you know just kind of kind of wrapping up in and in, in a summary, you know, as an attorney, you know, as as a retired gunnery sergeant of Marines, as as a retired police officer, I bring a lot of attributes to the table, um, you know, to serve our community. I have a lifetime of service, you know, in different capacities, and I look to continue that lifetime of service. And, you know, now that I'm retired, I can be a little more altruistic, right? And and do these things. But go to you know, go to my website, voteforvecky.org. Email me at scott.vecky at gmail.com or, or call my or call text me everybody texts nowadays nobody calls anybody and that's how you can get a hold of me and trust me i need as much help as i can get whether it's you know i'm i'm not a public employee anymore so i can ask for for donations you know i need i definitely need to raise funds to to help make more ads and help help generate things you know to keep this campaign going so if you can donate please do um if you want to help me collect signatures definitely text me um i need to collect a thousand certified signatures you know over the next couple of months and you know, I've already you know, I've already started running around the county collecting signatures. But it helps if it's not just me doing it. You know what I mean? If we have more people doing it. So if you can help, please do. Um, you know, jump on Team Vecchi. We you know we need all the help we can get. But team, but Team Vecchi is gonna it's gonna be a, a snowball. We're, we're, we're you know eventually it's gonna turn it's gonna change from a snowball to a locomotive chugging through the county. You know, and, and we're bringing it on election day. Well, Scott, I want to thank you so much for being my guest. Oh, and I thank you for having me. And, I, I uh, look forward to it. I look forward to more conversations. And, and we look forward to you tuning into segments like this. Again, uh, I'm very proud to be able to bring this content to you on a weekly basis to better inform you about whether it's an issue, maybe fun events that are happening in and around the county, uh, or maybe folks like this year, it's going to be very busy. You're going to hear a lot of conversations on this radio program, and, and I promise you, you'll be able to hear them almost immediately as we do have our own um, podcast site. You can go to the homepage of uh, WATD's website, uh, 959WATD.com, and you can find us in the podcast section, or just go to Spotify and search for Monday Night Talk with Kevin Dacci, and it's that easy. So we'll be back next week at 6.15 p.m. Until then, have a great night. South Shore's first choice for live team coverage of breaking news, emergency traffic, and severe weather. 95.9 WATD-FM Marshfield and 95.9 WATD.com.